All right, good evening. Um, I guess I should introduce myself because there's a lot of new faces in the crowd. So my name is JT Outlaw. Um, I am not the pastor here, so if you decided to come and listen to our pastor preach, sorry, that's not me. You'll have to come back next week. Um, my name is JT Outlaw. I'm actually the director of discipleship, and I'm finishing out our, uh, I guess we'll call it our vision series about what our vision as leadership is for Restoration Church. Um, so I'm going to take some time tonight and talk to you all about discipleship. So if we can, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Lord, I, I come to you just completely humbled that um, I would be able to stand up here um, in front of these people and, uh, and share your word, Lord, um, and be that my vision, um, the line where it says uh, to not strive after the empty praise of man. Lord, make that uh, true for me tonight. Um, help me be clear. Um, help me say uh, what uh, you want me to say this evening, Lord. Um, I just ask that you open the eyes and the ears of everyone here tonight and that they would hear your word um, and that uh, the Spirit would work to convict um, everyone here tonight, myself included, um, that we might be better disciples of, of Jesus, um, that we, we would uh, be more bold uh, to share our faith uh, with uh, this, this cold, um, cold world. Lord, thank you again for this opportunity, and I ask all this in Jesus' name. So, Preparing for tonight, um, I was debating on how I wanted to start this sermon, and I figured I would start the same way that the last two sermons have started, um, because there's no point in breaking tradition at this point. Uh, we're ending it out. So um, I'll just start with our philosophy or vision for discipleship here at Restoration. Uh, Restoration Church's aim for discipleship is that all members of the body would be engaged in a personal relationship where scripture would be studied and applied, sin confessed and fought, and our community sacrificially served, all for the building up and equipping of the body. Um, and when you hear that, that most likely sounds very, very similar to small group and our vision for the body at large. Um, and you're probably thinking right now, are we really going to hear the same thing we've heard over and over for the last couple weeks? And uh, yeah, you, you kind of are going to hear the same thing you've heard the last two weeks. Um, because what, what has been discussed the last two weeks is absolutely critical for the health of the church. Not just restoration, but the church at large. The biggest difference, though, is that our expectation for discipleship is not that it would remain within the confines of the church or within the confines of restoration but that it would go out into the world. Just as Christ told the disciples at the end of Matthew, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, we too are to go out and we're to engage with our culture of unbelief to make disciples, right? So again, I don't want to break with tradition 
So the last two weeks, um, Chris got up here, he introduced himself, he talked a little bit about himself so that you knew, you know, the point that he was coming from as, as your pastor. And then last week, Adam did the same thing um, as the director of small groups. So I figured, hey, um, it would probably serve you all well to hear a little bit about me, um, especially since I'm probably the only person on leadership that you've heard from the least. Uh, Chris is up here week in and week out preaching. Adam is a small group leader, so some of you um, hear from him throughout the week. Um, I don't really get too many opportunities like this, probably with good reason. But, um, but yeah, so just a little bit about myself. Um, just like Chris and Adam, I grew up in small town North Carolina. Um, I grew up in a town right outside of High Point and Winston-Salem. Um, and I try really, really hard to mask my Southern accent. But when I say my hometown name, it has a tendency to come out. So I'm from Wahlberg, North Carolina. Um, it, was a, uh, it was a very small uh, rural farm town that prided itself on tobacco, being right down the road from Winston-Salem, Camel City. Um, the farmers there, they would grow tobacco and sell it to R.J. Reynolds, where it got turned into Winston cigarettes, Salem cigarettes, Camel cigarettes, everything in between. Um, and that's kind of the, the town that I grew up in. It was, it was tobacco everywhere. Um, and in recent years, really, when I was in high school, it started to transition to more uh, suburban. Um, and with that, new churches, new ideas, that sort of thing. So growing up, um, I grew up in the church. I grew up in a small Methodist church. And um, to be honest with you, when, when I think back about church, um, a lot of this probably has to do with the fact that I wasn't a believer and I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention, although, even through high school. Um, but I don't really remember a lot of discipleship, if I'm being honest with you. Um, I don't remember really small groups. Um, kind of the weekly pattern for churchgoers in Wahlberg was church on Sunday morning. You had two choices, either 9 or 11. Nine, you were going to hear electric guitars. Eleven, you were going to hear organ. That's just how it was. Um, and it, it probably still is to this day. Um, after that, if you were considered a youth, you would go on Sunday night to youth group. Um, and then on Wednesday, uh, you had youth on Wednesday to look forward to. And that was kind of optional. You know, only the most godly youth kids would, would go on Wednesday. Um, and it was just kind of rinse and repeat every single week. Um, nothing really in between unless there was some sort of special event like, you know, the Super Bowl and a chili cook-off or whatever got made up uh, to go to. Uh, but as far as discipleship goes, I didn't really encounter that until high school. Um, and it was, it was just a brief glimpse of it because, again, I wasn't a believer, wasn't really interested in it. Uh, but my youth pastor at the time, Chris, not this Chris, different Chris, um, he really made a point to, um, I look back and I feel really bad for that guy, but he really tried a point to share the gospel with me in a discipleship relationship. He wanted to meet with me week in and week out, sit down, really tried to trudge through scripture with me. And I was just, I just really didn't give him that time. I wanted to hang out with him, thought he was a cool guy, but I just didn't really want to hear it. Um, so move on to um, when I became a believer, which was actually at East Carolina of all places. Um, went to ECU, uh, met some guys who also said that they were Christian, and because um, I was still proclaiming Christ at that time, because even though I wasn't a believer, I, I would say that I was. 
um, and uh, met some guys who also professed to be believers, started hanging out with them, and just sort of through, I guess, mitosis, I sort of experienced discipleship. Um, Just being there and kind of being surrounded by these other guys, I just started to take things in, um, and it clicked for me. I realized, wait a second, these guys, they say they're believers. They're doing stuff that I don't really like to do. Like, they're reading scripture, and uh, they won't stop talking about Jesus, and this is really weird. Why would they do this? And it's because they actually loved Christ. Um, So I became a believer, and those guys continued to disciple me uh, more intently after I became a believer. And... um, I got plugged into my, my church in Greenville, um, which was Integrity, which is actually the church that planted us here. And it was there that I met guys, this time like Chris, <laughs> um, and other men um, like uh, Kirk, who some of you have heard me talk about, who's a, uh, a man in his 70s, who's a retired attorney from Phoenix, Arizona, which we had no business hanging out with each other. The only reason we hung out with each other is because of a mutual love for Jesus. Um, it was probably very, very strange to see a guy in his 20s and a guy in his 70s meet at McDonald's and sit down and open up their Bibles together. It was probably very strange. Excuse me, very strange. Um, But all that to say, um, discipleship has played a very, very important role in my life as a believer. Um, Just through the glimpses that I saw in high school, moving into whenever I became a believer, and then even my time now. Um, I think it is absolutely critical. I think it's very, very important for every single believer to be in a discipleship relationship. And if I didn't believe that, I probably wouldn't be up here tonight talking about it. Um, So again, I just, I grew tremendously during my time in discipleship. And the best analogy I can give for for this whole thing, um, last week, Adam um, used the 30,000 feet analogy where he said, you know, if Sunday is 30,000 feet, then small group is um, the view on the ground. Well, me just having a difficult time with that, I couldn't really figure out how to to piece discipleship into that, Um, so I kind of had to come up with my own analogy, and uh, the best analogy that I could give, as a farm boy from Wahlberg, North Carolina, um, I decided to give the analogy of a farm. Um, So if Sunday morning is the farm, the whole farm, Okay, small group is like the garden, and then discipleship, in turn, is like the greenhouse. So essentially, a lot of what Adam shared last week applies this week. Um, Small group and discipleship, they go hand in hand. The garden and the greenhouse, they go hand in hand, right? Um, And we'll talk a little bit more about that analogy in a little bit, but... Just just like we don't consider here at Restoration, we do not consider small group optional for a healthy believer. If you want to be a healthy believer, we wholeheartedly believe and push the idea that you need to be in a small group during the week. In that same way, we believe that if you want to be a healthy believer, you need to be in a discipleship relationship. You need to be meeting with other believers one-on-one, and unbelievers, one-on-one, working through Scripture. So I can take you through a lot of the same Scripture that Adam used last week, 
but I'm gonna spare you that because that would just be incredibly boring. Like I said, this is already, there's a lot of overlap here between what Adam said last week and what I'm saying this week. So I'm gonna try and spare you a lot of the, the repeat scripture and things like that. Um, but the truth is, um, it's, it's, it's really difficult to stand up here and make a theological defense for discipleship, <laughs> which is probably strange to hear, but it is. It's, it's, it's really difficult because discipleship as we understand it, um, it isn't really mentioned by name in Scripture. Um, you don't hear Paul go and say, you know, to the church at Ephesus, you need to be in a discipleship relationship. Pull out your Scripture and meet one-on-one at Port City, Java, every Thursday afternoon. Um, it's just not there. You don't see that. Um, you don't even see that in a, in a historical context to the Ephesians or whatever letter you want to look at. Um, but what we do see, like Adam pointed out last week, um, and if you haven't listened to Adam's sermon, I really suggest you go back and listen to Adam's sermon from last week. It's on, there's a link on the website. Um, you can go listen to that. It's great. Um, I, I really was convicted by it um, just by hearing what he had to say for the vision of small group. Um, but you, you, you see glimpses of discipleship uh, through the relationships that we see in Scripture between Paul and Timothy, between Jesus and his disciples, right? You, you see these, these glimpses of, of discipleship and what it's supposed to look like. And it's, it's almost like the authors just assumed you guys get it? Like, discipleship, you should be meeting together. Like, this should be the topic of conversation. Uh, why do we need to go over this again? Um, and you see that all throughout Scripture. You just see, see references here and there to different things. Um, so the process really is only defined, in my opinion, in one place, and that's in the Great Commission. Um, at the end of the book of Matthew, uh, Jesus tells the disciples, you know, you need to make disciples, and this is the uh, JT Outlaw paraphrase version, but you need to make disciples, aka share the gospel, right? Um, You need to baptize them once they become believers, and then you need to teach them to observe my, talking Christ, to observe Christ's commands. Um, So mainly when we think about discipleship, which of those three things are typically what we think about? Think about the third one, right? We think about discipleship being that last part of the Great Commission where we're teaching them to observe my commands. That's what we tend to focus on. It's meeting together, going through Scripture, going through Christ's commands. Um, And this is a great and needed thing. I'm not downplaying that at all. It's just discipleship differs from small group. Because, let's be honest, conversations are a little bit different one-on-one, right? Um, no offense to Adam, and I'm glad, I'm glad he's sitting out in the hall tonight, because uh, he might have something different to say about all this. But the way we spend our time one-on-one, it lends itself to being hyper-focused on each other. Really meeting each other's needs in a way that small group can't. And small group is great. But there's only so much conversation you can have around a fire during confession night, right? 
Like you can say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. And the guys can say, or the girls, whatever group you're part of, but they can respond and say, man, I'm so sorry. Here's some ways that I fought through that. Let's pray for you. And that's kind of it. There's no real follow-up in small group, right? I mean, it, it kind of just, it has a tendency, it can die there. You can talk about it there, and it doesn't get brought up again until the next confession night, whenever you're sitting around that fire again, and they're like, man, I'm still struggling with whatever it is. That's not good. That's not healthy to just keep bringing up the same sin over and over and over again. And that's why discipleship is so important. It is critical in the life of a believer. Discipleship is meeting with somebody later and asking, so how are you doing with that that you mentioned on Thursday? Let's look at scripture and let's pray about that. I want to help you figure out a plan to, to fight this sin together. I want to be there for you. Discipleship is the follow-through, and that's why it's important. It's the follow-through, and that typically is the most difficult part, is it not? Because it really requires us to be intentional. Our culture openly mocks the thoughts and prayers movement that has kind of gone wild on social media, right? I mean, you, you see it time and time again. You see somebody post about, you know, this happened to my family or, or this, I've got this going on or whatever, and somebody will post, or maybe you've even posted. I know I've done it before, but you'll post and you'll say, oh, you're in my thoughts and prayers. And that sounds great when you say it. You think, man, I really hope my comment where I said, you're in my thoughts and prayers, I really hope that helps turn their life around. Because we've, we've sold ourselves a lie. We've told each other that caring for someone is only as is only going as far as saying, I'm thinking about you, and I'm praying for you. And both of those are great things. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm not trying to tell you, don't think about people, don't pray for people. That's not it. But those two things, they are lip service. Because what you do behind closed doors, nobody knows. You can tell somebody, you're in my thoughts and prayers. Are you really thinking about them? Did you really pray for them or did you just say that? And I'm not trying to be accusatory. I've done the same thing. They're so easy to hide behind those words. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we are forsaking the first part of discipleship. We've forgotten what it looks like to disciple unbelievers. What should be comfort for a fellow brother or sister in thoughts and prayers, that's being used as a sort of diet evangelism. We aren't really taking the opportunities 
to truly share the gospel with those who need to hear it. Our culture has caught on to that. Those days are over. The fact that our culture has caught on and they've noticed that those are just empty words at this point is honestly disgraceful. True discipleship is going to be uncomfortable. If I could make a t-shirt for discipleship at restoration, it would say discipleship is going to be uncomfortable. (laughs) And I would wear that thing every single week. I would wear it out because it is. It's going to be uncomfortable. And there's, I, I honestly believe there's a reason that when I was growing up, I didn't really see it. Because we have bought into the lie that the prosperity gospel has sold us. That we need to be comfortable. That being a believer is about being comfortable. And it's not. It's the farthest thing from it. And when we tell the world we're praying for you and there's no follow-up, which is what discipleship is, all that we're saying is that we're praying that someone would be willing to be uncomfortable enough to share the gospel with you. We're saying that we're praying that another believer would be willing to be uncomfortable enough to walk alongside you in your suffering and share their similar suffering and their ultimate hope in Christ. Not me. That's uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about my, my, my suffering. I don't want to share that with you. I don't really know you, and you can't really understand because you're an unbeliever. But I pray that somebody will, just not me. We'll pray for you, but we don't really want to hear how you're doing. Or worse yet, you can tell me how you're doing, but if you want to know how I'm doing, go look at my Instagram story. Or go look at my Facebook story or my last Facebook status. That's how I'm doing. I'm doing great. We cry out that we are different from the prosperity gospel. The gospel that if you believe in Jesus, you will be healthy and wealthy and comfortable. Jesus will meet those needs. You don't have to worry about it. We know that that's a lie. Scripture says that that's a lie. And we try to distance ourselves from that. But when we are presented with opportunities to walk alongside somebody who does not have faith in Christ, we don't take that opportunity to tell them where their hope could lie. Are we really any different? My first hope for discipleship or restoration is that we are engaging with the world. Specifically, that we have unbelievers in our lives that we're pouring into, that we're sharing the gospel with, that we're sharing our faith with, that we're sharing our discomfort with. 
And those relationships, again, they're going to be uncomfortable. They're oftentimes going to feel one-sided, one-on-one, <laughs> right? Because it's just going to feel like you're just pouring into this person and pouring into them and pouring into them and pouring into them, and open, uh, opening up and telling them all these things, and you're not really getting any sort of reciprocation. But a great way to sidestep that is to invite an unbeliever into an already established discipleship relationship. If you're meeting with another believer one-on-one and, and it's, it's going as it should, the relationship's transparent. You're able to, to be honest with one another. You're able to point out sin in each other's lives. You're able to confess sin to each other. You're able to go to each other in your suffering and talk about it. And you're able to point each other back to Christ. What a great way to bring an unbeliever in and show them, hey, this is what it looks like. Rather than trying to do your best to explain it to them, Show them. Show them that. Essentially what you're doing, to go back to the farm analogy, the seed that you could plant, right? The seed of faith that you could plant there by sharing the gospel with them, you could move that seed straight into the greenhouse. Let them see discipleship in action. Let them participate in discussions about Scripture and give them the opportunity to confess their own sin. When was the last time that you had a conversation with an unbeliever and you actually talked to them about sin? Or sin in your own life and how you want to fight it, how you want to glorify God. That sacrifice of comfort that we're looking for, this is really what restoration wants, is a sacrifice of comfort. And that sacrifice of comfort is not in vain because we need to think of our perfect example who emptied himself for us like we see in Philippians 2. So let's look at that really quick. Um, So Philippians 2, 1 through 11, it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete by joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Discipleship. All right? Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Discipleship. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like Christ... The most loving thing we can do 
is empty ourselves of our comfort and unconditionally love our unbelieving neighbors and coworkers, even when those relationships could possibly end with mocking, jeering, or dismissal. It's possible. You could reach a hand out to them and want to start a discipleship relationship. You could be so well-intentioned, and they could just turn and look at you and say, I want nothing to do with that, and because you're about that, I want nothing to do with you. And we have to be okay with that. That's just par with the course. But we need to give them the opportunity to say no. We need to give them the opportunity to mock us. (laughs) Because it's worth it. So, once, hopefully, God saves our friends, our co-workers, and our neighbors. The seed's been planted And God allowed it to take root and to start growing. We need to thank God because if you've invited them into a discipleship relationship that you're having with somebody else, we should thank God because the seed is already in the greenhouse. The growth has started, and hopefully, because it's in the greenhouse, it'll be accelerated. So if you're unfamiliar with gardening or with farming, um... I tried to look up an article to find like the most concise reason you would want to use a greenhouse. And uh, the website I found was called johnnyseeds.com. And uh, they have an article, uh, the title of which provides, I think, a perfect explanation of why you should start your crops in a greenhouse. The greenhouse advantage, extended season, Higher quality, higher yield. I think the same applies for new believers. If you can start them out in a discipleship relationship, you are going to have an extended season of growth, higher quality, and a higher yield. When you have a new believer in a discipleship relationship, that new season of belief Think back to whenever you became a believer and how excited you were that you were a believer and how great that feeling was when that happened, right? Imagine being able to take that energy and take that excitement and really push it forward towards growth instead of letting it just sort of flounder around and then it sort of just dies out, right? Being able to take that excitement and actually use it for the growth of that new believer. We want to cultivate that excitement. Growth is accelerated and provides a strong foundation for the rest of that young believer's life because discipleship provides a pattern for developing strong disciplines of the faith. Because if you're meeting in discipleship, what that young believer sees, they're seeing that it's important to pray, It's important to read scripture. It's important to confess your sin. And it's also important to share your faith. That's what the new believer sees in a discipleship relationship. But we don't want to keep crops in the greenhouse forever. We want the roots to spread and we want the crop to reproduce, right? So eventually, 
we should witness the relationship move from one-way teaching where you know you're pouring into somebody's life you should see that growth happen and hopefully it would be kind of like a co-teaching situation right you should be able to see teaching in the opposite direction where that person is coming to you and you're like man i never thought about that passage in james like that and it should just absolutely blow your mind when it happens because you have witnessed a miracle you have watched somebody go from death to life and now God is using them to teach you. That is amazing. Is it not? So, not long after I became a believer at ECU, again, another miracle in its own right, um, I, I studied in Australia for a semester. Um, I thought to myself, man, I want to study underwater archaeology. That's why I was at ECU. I thought, where would be a great place to do that? started looking at my options. Australia was the number one pick. And I thought, yes, let's do it. 2011, I'm going to go fall semester. Biggest mistake if you're doing underwater archaeology because that's winter. And I didn't even think about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so forgot it was the Southern Hemisphere, whatever. Um, but uh, so I left for a semester. And um, all the guys who poured into me, the year prior, um, and really led me to Christ. They, uh, they had a new crop, so to speak, show up at ECU, um, new guys that they could pour into, and uh, new guys for them to disciple. And my friend Eddie, um, who if you know Eddie, he is a, he's a strange person, but um, <laughs> he Skyped me, and I love him to death, and I, I really hope he doesn't listen to the sermon now, but... Um, <laughs> But he Skyped me, and he told me about this guy named Jonathan that he was, um, he was discipling, who showed up. Jonathan was not a believer, and um, Eddie told me. It was like 1 in the morning, too. I remember my computer went off, and I remember being so upset that he was wasting my time to tell me about this. But um, <laughs> he said, man, you guys are really going to hit it off, this guy Jonathan that I met. He's really cool. I think, I think you guys are going to like each other a lot. I think you got a lot of potential there. Um, and in that moment, I was really selfish because it was one in the morning and I wanted to go to sleep. And I also did not want to meet Jonathan or any of the other guys that came that semester. I wanted to be able to go back to ECU and I wanted to be able just to kind of pick up where I left off with the guys that I had gotten so close to. I didn't want to be bothered by anybody new. I just wanted to go back and kind of do my own thing. So I arrived back in Greenville. Um, it was actually around this time in 2012. So the fall semester was over. I uh, went back to Greenville, it was mid-January, and it was actually unusually warm like it was yesterday um, around this time in 2012. So got back, set up my hammock on what we called the mall out at ECU. It's this long... Um, I don't know if any other universities have a mall or if they call it that, but it was just a long grassy stretch kind of like in the middle of campus that just had a bunch of trees um, and they were all sort of close together. So we all used to set up our hammocks and we would like double and triple and quadruple stack them like over each other and kind of just like hang out, 
and talk and do whatever. Um, so I was kind of like the meeting place. So I went and set up my hammock and I texted everybody and I was waiting for, uh, for the guys to show up and set up their hammocks and we could all catch up and I could tell them about Australia and I could find out how things were going here. And um, Eddie texted back and he said he was bringing Jonathan. And I remember thinking in that moment, I, I wasn't super thrilled, um, but they showed up and uh, we sat in our hammocks and we talked. And Jonathan, like I said, he was not a believer at this point. Um, but by God's grace, we, we really hit it off. Um, and I say God's grace because I looked kind of homeless at the time. Like, I, I was a pretty rough-looking dude. Um, and I've actually got a picture to, to, to really show you. So this is me and Jonathan. Um, my hair was pretty long and gross. Um, and I had this nasty trash stash right here. I don't know if you can see that. Um, just some ripped up blue jeans, that sort of thing. And when I say we looked homeless, there was a Sunday after Jonathan became a believer. This phase went on for a couple years, and then I met my wife, and it ended. Um, but uh, but there was it, it got worse, and it lasted for a couple years. And after Jonathan became a believer, we actually served on the setup team. Uh, which if you want to serve on the setup team, let us know. But uh, we served on the setup team at Integrity. And um, there was actually a girl. So setup at Integrity started at 6 in the morning, which for college guys is like waking up at 3 in the morning. Um, and so we would wake up, just sort of roll out of bed, looking like extra rough. And we would go to, uh, we would go to where we set up church. And um, we would set up. We'd go across the street to McDonald's, grab something to eat, come back, and we still had like an hour and a half to kill, and there was no point driving back to campus, so we would just fall asleep on the couch in the hotel lobby where we met. And um, there was one Sunday where our pastor, Ben, um, he told us this like a couple years later, but he said that there was a girl um, that, that was coming to uh, Integrity who, uh, she went up to Ben and she said, hey, Ben, um, I was wondering, should we invite those homeless guys in the lobby that are sleep, sleeping in the lobby? Should we invite them to church? And, and Ben was like, show me who you're talking about. So they walked out into the lobby, and she pointed at some guys on the, on the, you know, on the couch. And Ben was like, oh, those guys aren't homeless. That's the setup team. Um, so it was, it was pretty rough. And when I, like I said, when I say by God's grace that uh, somebody would want to hang out with me, that was the reason somebody, it was, it was God's grace that this worked out. So Jonathan showed up. We met each other for the first time, and we, we hung out. Like, despite me being just so cold-hearted to this idea of getting to know somebody new, um, God really warmed my heart in that instant, and me and Jonathan really hit it off. And that first day that we met each other, um, I'm not saying that this is the example for discipleship, but that first day that we met each other, we hung out until like three in the morning and we went to like Waffle House and we just talked um, and he just told me like his whole life story and we just caught up and everything. And it was, it was like we had known each other for years um, and it was amazing. It was so cool. Um, so all of that to say, Jonathan and I, we hung out every day for the rest of that semester, literally every day. Um, I was able to witness to him um, throughout my time with him, and I wasn't really pouring into him directly 
It wasn't a, a, a typical discipleship relationship, but there was another guy that we were friends with. His name was Aaron, and he was being very um, thoughtful with Jonathan. So Jonathan kind of had walked through his day, hey, have you thought about this part of scripture or like, how are you doing with this? And then he would meet with Aaron and it was very, it was much more direct. It was, let's walk through the gospel. Let's walk through scripture. So he kind of had it coming from both ends. Um, so we just hung out throughout the, throughout the year. And I actually got to witness Jonathan go from unbelief to belief. Um, and when he became a believer, um, we were still hanging out and we were still meeting together. And our, our conversations became a little more focused on Christ. Um, he, he was the topic of conversation more often than not. Um, but he started meeting with other guys too. Um, he started really coming to integrity regularly. Um, and other guys were able to start pouring into his life also. Um, and I was able to watch him go from unbelief to belief. And then I was able to watch him just grow so quickly. And it went from being a relationship where I was constantly pouring into Jonathan to where he started reciprocating that. And he started pouring back into me. And there were seasons in our lives where we ended up living together. We were the best man in each other's weddings. Um, We still talk to each other regularly. Like I called him this afternoon and I was like, hey man, I'm preaching tonight, pray for me because this could potentially be a disaster. Um, but we still talk to each other regularly and I, I, I still see him as my brother. Um, but the discipleship relationship has long ended. We don't, we don't meet one-on-one anymore, partially because of proximity. He lives in Greenville. I live in Wilmington. Doesn't really work. Um, but even when we were in Greenville, we stopped meeting together one-on-one. And that's because we want to see replication. We want to see these relationships reproduce with new people. So there was only so much time Jonathan and I had. There was only so much that we could teach each other. God could still use each other in in our lives, and he still does. But there was so much more that we could share with others. So there came a point where we had to make a decision, and it was, are we going to keep meeting together regularly, or are we going to start meeting with other people? Man, it felt kind of like a breakup, but <laughs> but we did it, and um, we were better off for it, M- much, much better off. Um, but I will say this. In the time that we spent together, one thing that I, I honestly can say, and I, when I talked to him this afternoon, I was like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like our relationship our, our friendship was really marked by bringing in unbelievers, right? And he was like, yeah, man. He was like, think about so-and-so and so-and-so and this other guy and this guy that we would hang out with who weren't believers. And he was like, and we would try and share the gospel with them. He was like, yeah. He's like, I think that's a fair thing to say. And when I started thinking about it, um, when I say, I guess the whole point of this example that I'm giving you was to go back to what I said previously. Bring in unbelievers into your discipleship relationship because what they are going to see is going to be markedly different than what the world tells them a friendship is. 
it is going to completely tear down any preconceived notion of what a friendship looks like. Because I can remember one guy in particular who hung out with Jonathan and I pretty often. And there was a time whenever Jonathan and I were living together that I think I'd sinned against him somehow. I don't remember. There was some reason that he called me out on something. And me just being prideful and a dude, I just, I was like not having it. And I got really mad at him. Um, And we kind of like raised our voices at each other. And I just walked away. And I came back maybe like 10 minutes later. And this was all in front of our friend. And I'm sure at the time he was thinking, oh my gosh, get me out of here. Like, I don't want to be here. But little did he know, we picked him up for a reason so he couldn't just leave. Um, (laughs) So I came back to Jonathan maybe about 10 minutes later. And I apologized to him. And I asked him to forgive me. And I told him he was right, that I did sin against him. And I was asking for his forgiveness. And Jonathan forgave me. And we moved on. And it was like it had never happened. And it blew this guy's mind. Absolutely blew his mind. And he made such a point to tell us. He, he, he actually told us in our living room. He said, guys, he's like, I've never seen anything like that. He was like, I want that in my, in my friendships. He's like, I want to be able to just readily forgive people. And I want to be able to readily tell people, that I messed up. He's like, I've never seen that before. So I'm telling you, bring in unbelievers. If you're only meeting with believers and going through scripture with believers, you're missing half of the Great Commission. You're only doing half of it. Bring in unbelievers. So again, a discipleship relationship should not last forever for the sake of reproduction. But the brotherly or sisterly relationship you develop with that believer, it'll always be there. Always. Because your, your friendship has been cemented on the foundation of Christ. And Christ isn't going anywhere. So why would your friendship? This is what we want at Restoration. We want men and women meeting together to read scripture together, confessing and fighting sin together. And we want men and women serving together, sharing their faith together. Whether that starts by inviting in an outsider, by inviting in an unbeliever, or whether that's going out to serve in the community by picking up an evening to go serve at Vigilant Hope, one where the rest of the church isn't going to be there. You're just going with your discipleship buddy to serve. Discipleship is so important for the church because it helps create and sustain healthy believers. We need healthy members to have healthy small groups and healthy small groups to have a healthy body and a healthy body to carry and implement the vision of restoration. So let our comfort die so that we might live more effective, missional, God-glorifying lives. Let's pray.